Well, good morning, Grace Gospel Church. So nice to see all of you this morning. This morning's message is really part two of what we read from the scriptures last week in Exodus chapter 3, verses 10 to 22. God is still telling Moses that he, at the burning bush, that he's going to go back to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses is still going back and forth with God. What appeared to be valid objections in chapter 3, we're going to see now that these things which could have been valid objections on Moses' part are really more like excuses. And you may have noticed that come out in the verses that our brother Gilson read to us. I want to begin with a very short story. It's kind of humorous. We'll grasp the truth of it, but it's often told uh, about some Sunday school children, five, six, seven years old, and a new boy shows up in class. His family just got saved. They were unchurched. And this boy knew nothing about the Bible, and he's sitting in the Sunday school classes. The Sunday school teacher asked some questions. Who was it that walked on the water? And every hand goes up but this little boy's hand. And the teacher calls on one, and it's Jesus. Who was it who opened the eyes of the blind? And every hand goes up but this young boy. And she calls on someone else, and they say, Jesus, who was it who blessed the little children? Every hand goes up but this new boy in class. And she calls on one, and it's Jesus. So wanting to include this little boy who's hanging, his head is down, he's a little embarrassed that he doesn't know the answer to any of these questions. But he heard it's Jesus, it's Jesus, it's Jesus. So she says to him, would you like to answer the next question? What is small and gray and furry and has a nice tail and eats acorns? And so he says, I think it's a squirrel, but I'll say Jesus. The point being is that in a real sense, Jesus is the answer to every question. The title of today's message is God has all the answers. He is the answer to every question that we might have, every deep question as to the meaning of life, where we've come from, where we're going, what is valuable in life, what is transitory, what is eternal, and how to live in a way that will please Him. What this passage is really all about is found in verse 5, that they may believe. The whole purpose of the three signs that God reveals in this passage, in fact, the whole purpose of the chapters that follow, all the way up to the parting of the Red Sea, is that they may believe. Not only the elders of Israel and the people of God, the Hebrews, the Jews, but also Pharaoh and all the Egyptians, that the whole world might believe. 
This is what this passage is about. As we proceed through these next chapters coming up, this is the guiding verse that shows us what everything is about, why God gave those signs, why God would unleash on Pharaoh and the Egyptians the ten plagues, why God would part the Red Sea and then close it on Pharaoh and his army, that they may believe. God wants the world today to believe as well. He wants you and I as believers in Christ to trust in Him more and more, believe in Him more and more. Some believers are in a very real sense functional atheists. They believe in God with their mind, but they don't live like they believe in God. Are they true believers? Are they false professors? That's not for me to judge, nor for you. Paul writes to Timothy, the Lord knows those who are his. Yet he does exhort his Corinthian spiritual children and grandchildren to examine themselves to see if they're saved at all. Test yourselves to see if Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit actually lives in you. Paul wouldn't pronounce yea or nay as to their salvation, but he exhorted them and commanded them twice. Examine yourself, test yourself in 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. This passage is presented so that we may believe that the Lord is God and that he's appeared not only to Moses, but to a prophet greater than Moses. He appeared to the world in the person of Jesus Christ, his only begotten son. In this passage, God is revealed as wanting everyone to know that he alone is the one true God of human history, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he keeps his covenant promises to his people. By mentioning Abraham and then Isaac and then Jacob, he's reminding them that he made a covenant entered into by faith, just like the new covenant in the blood of Christ, entered into by faith. He reminds them that he made that covenant with Abraham. God is revealed as wanting everyone to know that he is the one true God. As far as what to take away from this morning's message, if you can take only one thing away with you to put into practice, to believe, to live out, let it be this. God knows what he is doing in choosing you and equipping you for his service. Do not make invalid excuses to not serve him. This passage neatly divides into two points, not three. Surprise, surprise. I know many of the times I have three, but... When any of us preach here, the points we get come right from the text. We don't make up three points, four points. They come right from the text. Here, there's only two. God has answers to your excuses to not serve him that focus on others. Moses, again, just like in chapter 3, is focused on others. What if they won't believe 
that you've sent me? What if they ask in chapter 3, who is it that sent me? Who should I tell them? And God answered, I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. And then the second main point is God has answers to your excuses to not serve him that focus on yourself. Moses, again, is going to come back to himself just as he did in chapter 3. Let's see how this works out. Let's begin looking at God's answers to the excuses we might make to not serve him that focus on others. Because, look, let's be honest. None of us are perfect. Almost every single one of us in this room, maybe everyone, at least at some time, we care what others think about us. We do. We have that sinful pride. Even if it's a little or if it's a lot, we care about what others think about us. And sometimes we focus on others' opinions of ourselves, and that may encourage us to serve, not for the best reason we should be serving from him, for him, not just because others think we're good at something, but at the same time, it may also hinder us for, from service because, uh, you know, maybe someone doesn't really appreciate what we do for the Lord, serving in some capacity in Sunday school or the fellowship table or security, whatever ministry it is. And we focus more on their rejection of what we're trying to do sincerely for the Lord, and we choose not to serve. God has answers to whatever our excuse is. God has at least one answer that can produce faith in others. Did you know God wants to use you and I, utilizing our spiritual gifts, no matter what they are, in whatever capacity he's equipped us to serve, he wants to do that to encourage the faith of our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as to model faith towards the unbeliever. And one answer that God has that will produce faith in others is obedience to God's word. Moses said, what if they will not believe me or listen? Listen here is obey. You know, my father would often tell me, after explaining to me what was required of me in terms of chores, and I couldn't be bothered with them, he would say, why didn't you listen to me? Well, he knew I heard him. What he was saying is, why didn't I obey him? And that's the idea with listen here. I'm sure you've all heard the word listen used in this way. What if they will not believe me or listen, obey what I say? They may say, the Lord hasn't appeared to you. The Lord said, what is in your hand? And he said, a staff. He said, throw it to the ground. He threw it to the ground. Notice what God said, what God's spoken word said. Moses heard this. Moses saw the burning bush. He heard the voice of God speaking out of the bush. And he said, throw your staff to the ground. He had a shepherd's staff there. God gave the command. Moses obeyed the command exactly the way God gave it. The application for you and I is very clear, isn't it? God has spoken through his written word. He wants us to obey it. 
the commands and instructions and exhortations in God's Word are simply not optional for the believer in Christ who wants to live a life that's pleasing to Him, who wants to serve the Lord God and be used by Him to produce faith in others, strengthen the faith of believers, and possibly be used by God for others who are unsaved to come to faith. Obedience to God's Word is the main way we will model with our life what a Christian ought to be and will speak volumes to the saved and the unsaved, to saint and sinner alike. Obedience to God's Word is one answer. God has at least one answer, another answer, that can produce faith in others. Not just obedience. Sometimes it's very easy to obey, isn't it? But when we're tempted or when there's a trial that we're going through, then sometimes obedience gets a little more difficult, doesn't it? I'm sure I'm not the only one who's experienced that. Obedience in difficult times speaks even louder, but it's obedience still. He threw his staff to the ground. It became a serpent. Moses fled from it. The Lord said, stretch out your hand and grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. This is a difficult time. Whether it became an Egyptian cobra or an asp, I don't know what kind of serpent. But it seems that it was venomous because Moses fled from it. He was not going to get bit by that serpent that his staff turned into. God gave a command, grasp it. And so even though he fled, he comes back and he grabs it by its tail. Smart man to grab it by the tail, at least in this case. He did exactly what God had told him. He grasped it, and it became a staff in his hand. This was a difficult time. I mean, we're going to see Moses making excuses throughout the rest of this passage. I sometimes wonder, since he fled, why he didn't keep going. Some of us might. I might have kept going because I don't want any part of that difficult time. Obedience in good times is one thing. Obedience in difficult times is something entirely different. Yet Moses came back. How far he had gotten, I don't know. The text doesn't tell us. But he came back and he reached out in obedience to God in this difficult time with a serpent that likely could have killed him if it bit him. They didn't have anti-venom in those days to save his life. But he did exactly what God commanded him to do. Again, the application is clear, isn't it? In any situation, any trial in life, no matter how difficult it is, in fact, even more so when it's difficult, we should obey what God says in his word. The purpose of the first sign is to produce faith in God's word. It became a staff in his hand that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, has appeared to you. That they may believe. That's the purpose of all the signs. In fact, this is not just an Old Testament thing. In the Gospels, 
The Lord Jesus Christ performs what we commonly call miracles. And sometimes they are called miracles. But John tells us what those miracles were for. They were for signs. What does a sign do? A sign tells us this way, 195 east or 195 west. Signs point to a direction. Signs give instruction. Signs reveal a way. Christ did not just perform miracles for the entertainment of the people. Pass the popcorn. I'm really enjoying this show. No, they served a particular purpose. The miracles he performed were signs that were first written about in the Old Testament that Messiah would perform. In one case, only a Messiah. He opened the eyes of the blind. He was the first. His apostles, some did after. But no Old Testament prophet, even though they might have healed a leper, they never opened the eyes of the blind. The first one to ever do that was the Lord Jesus Christ. The eyes are the window of the soul. The only one who could truly provide salvation, bring light into the soul, was the Lord Jesus Christ. The sign is intended to produce faith in God's Word. They're not intended for entertainment. So many Christians today, they want to see signs and wonders. They call them signs. They want to see miracles. And it's just the miracle itself that they want to see, which they find value in. That's not the purpose of biblical miracles. They're always signs that point to something. God has more than one answer that can produce faith in others. He can deliver from catastrophe. The Lord said, put your hand in your bosom. Moses put his hand into his bosom. When he took it out, his hand was leprous like snow. You got you to understand something here. God is calling Moses to serve. If his hand is leprous, there's no way he's going to be able to serve. He would be rejected by everyone. He would be an outcast. No one would go near him. No one would follow him. Lepers, even at this time, were relegated to the outskirts of any inhabited place. He takes his hand out. I can imagine the shock. It'd be like me waking up in the morning, going to the bathroom, flipping the light on, and I have hair. Okay? No, uh, that might be a good thing. But uh, this was leprosy. It was still a shock to him. And God says to him, put your hand in again. He put his hand in, in obedience to God, both times. I mean, can you imagine? I listen to God. I pull my hand out, and it's leprous. Do I really want to listen to God again? I might not have a hand the second time I pull it out. But he obeyed the voice of God. He obeyed God's word to him. He put his hand into his bosom again, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. God delivered him 
from what would have been a catastrophe. God allowed that catastrophe. God even caused that catastrophe. He ordained it from eternity past for his plan that Moses' hand would be leprous for, in this case, a short period of time. God also ordained that it would be restored. God delivered him from what would have been a major catastrophe in his life. He fled from Egypt because he murdered someone. He would have had to flee. There would have been nowhere for him to flee if he had leprosy. Anywhere he went, he would be an outcast. Instead of being received in by his father-in-law and given one of his daughters to marry, no one would have anything to do with him. He'd lose his family. He'd lose his service for God. But God delivered him. God is able to deliver from catastrophe. And this can be used to produce faith in others as they marvel at God's deliverance. I, I think about Corey Tenboom and how God delivered her from a death camp that the Nazis had. And God restored her. She didn't have leprosy. Her sister died there. She was released, and she served the Lord powerfully the rest of her life. God can deliver you from any catastrophe that enters your life. It comes about as part of his plan, and he can deliver you. Always remember that when we're going through trials, that God is able, just as he did with Moses here, to change our circumstances. The purpose of the second sign was also to produce faith. If they will not believe you or heed, obey the witness of the first sign, they may believe the witness of the last sign. The last of the two signs is what he's saying here, the second sign. And then there's yet a third sign, which is intended to produce faith and obedience. All three signs, every time there's a sign here. It's intent, it is intended to produce faith. When you read Scripture and you see the God of Scripture doing what he does, that should produce faith in you. The purpose of the third sign is to produce not just faith but obedience. If they will not believe in even these two signs or heed what you say. Remember, the Lord said he was going to put his words in Moses' mouth. If they won't heed what you say, really what I am saying through you, then you shall take some water from the Nile. Again, it all has to do with belief. They're not just for entertainment purposes. God has many answers that can produce faith in others. Life-changing circumstances is one of them. When you're faced with life-changing circumstances. But if they will not believe then you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water which you take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. Sometimes when you're faced with life-changing circumstances and your response as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, when your response is different from the world's response, they take notice. I, I, I remember as a young engineer out of the military, working for a defense contractor, there were often layoffs. 
Contracts were canceled, they were downsized, and there were layoffs. And I remember after a series of layoffs and a lot of the young engineers being concerned, are they going to have a job at the end of the day? Some of them, like myself, had bought a house. We had a mortgage. We had a wife. We had children. What would we do? And the third round of layoffs came. And I remember a number of young guys coming up to me and saying, you know, I'm, I'm really concerned about this, but, but, you know, Paul, you don't seem to be bothered by this. And I had an opportunity after opportunity to share my faith in God. I knew this. No one could lay me off if God didn't want me laid off. And if he wanted me laid off, which I had been laid off at a previous job uh, six years earlier, if God wanted me laid off, it was the best thing for me. I'd already learned that before because I got a far better job after being laid off. The Lord provided a better one. And now I had even a better one than that. You can testify to the grace of God, the love of God, the wisdom of God, the power of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what God has done in your life and in your soul, in your heart, in, when faced with life-changing circumstances, those are some of the times that your life, your conduct, your words can speak the loudest. Did you know that there are five Gospels? Now, before the elders get security to drag me out of here, okay, there, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm not talking about the phony Gospels written 50 to 200 years after John died. I'm not talking about the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Judas or the Gospel of Peter, those phony Gospels. I'm talking about five real Gospels. Four of them are written. The fifth one, every single one of us, including myself, is writing. You are writing a Gospel, a chapter a day, by deeds that you do, by words that you say. People read what you write, whether faithless or true, Say, what is that gospel according to you? What is the good news we communicate to others by our words and by the way we live our life? Life-changing circumstances, when faced with them, is one of the most powerful ways to communicate the gospel according to you, which is the Holy Spirit reproducing the character of Christ, giving you faith, stronger faith, producing his fruit, one aspect of which is faithfulness in Galatians 5. These are the excuses that Moses made not to serve God that focused on others. His real fears, the fact that they are really excuses begins to emerge in verses 10 to 17. They're not just valid objections. We're going to see their excuses. And if you're at all like me, you might see yourself in some of these excuses. God has answers to our recognized human inabilities to serve him. I hope we all recognize that regardless of how 
God created us with our natural talents and abilities, we are unable to serve Him for His glory in and of ourselves. We need the Holy Spirit indwelling us as true believers in Christ to empower us, produce His fruit. The first answer God has to our human inabilities is that He is sovereign. Sovereign just means that He has the power to always do whatever He has decided to do. And He decided from eternity past everything that would take place. He has not only decided, but He has the power to bring about every single aspect of His plan. That's all sovereign means. His omnipotence, his all power that he has is what enables him, as well as his omniscience, his all-knowing. Nothing takes God by surprise. He knew from eternity past what Moses would do here. He knew every single objection, every single word Moses would utter. The psalmist says, before there's yet a word in my mouth, thou, O Lord, knowest it. God knows it. And his plan has accounted for all of it. Moses said to the Lord, I have never been eloquent. This seems to be true, but he's going to be using it as an excuse. Neither recently nor in the past, nor since you have spoken to your servant. For I am slow of speech and of tongue. So Moses is now talking with God, and whatever his problem was, a lisp, some kind of speech impediment, doesn't matter what, what the nature of it was. He even says, look, you're talking to me, and I'm still having trouble replying. I'm not eloquent before, and I'm still not eloquent. In other words, Lord, what have you done for me? I'm still the same mess that I always have been. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Obviously, the Lord has. Or who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? What the Lord God is saying here to Moses is, I made you just the way you are. God has made every one of us in a certain way. He didn't make any mistake whatsoever. I might think I should be able to sing like Gilson, but God didn't make me that way. And God made no mistake. None whatsoever. He never makes mistakes. How can he be perfect? You are perfect in all your ways, the Scripture says. You make one mistake, you're not perfect. Even if you get everything else right, you're never perfect. You're never going to be perfect because you made that mistake. God is perfect in all his ways. He makes no mistakes. He is saying, Moses, I'm sovereign over you. I'm the one who made you slow of speech and tongue. But I still want to use you. I'm still going to use you powerfully to produce faith in others. All you have to do is obey me and serve me. That is exactly what he says to every single one of us here today. By extension, in this passage. I mean, we can find many verses in the New Testament. I don't need to proof text it. Just pick up any part of the New Testament. Read a chapter, two or three. You will see commands and instructions 
to you and I to obey God. God has made every one of us just as we are. And he wants to use us just as we are. He is sovereign over our life, over our creation and over every aspect of our life. God has answers to our underlying fears to serve him. He is with us in our service. Moses said to the Lord, I have never been eloquent. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And then the Lord says, Now then go, I, even I, will be with your mouth and teach you what you are to say. God is with him in his service for the Lord. We don't go alone. I love that hymn that the five Christian martyrs in 1952 or 53 sang before they went out to meet the Wa'arani Indians who martyred all five of them. They sang a well-known hymn. We rest on thee, our shield and our defender. We go not forth alone against the foe. Strong in thy strength, safe in thy keeping tender. We rest on thee, and in thy name we go. He is with us when we go forth in service. He is our shield, our defender, and we can rest on him. Whatever happens as we serve, we can trust in him. That's part of his plan. He's always with us in our service. God has answers to our rebellious unwillingness to serve him. He can raise up others to serve him. When we continue to make excuses not to serve him, or when we legitimately need help, he can raise up others to serve us. He said, Lord, now this is, he's revealing his true colors here. He has no other objection. I mean, if the Lord's with you, who can be against you? We read that in Scripture. Moses finally reveals his true colors. These have been excuses all along. Lord, send the message by whomever you will. It ought to be obvious to Moses by now that he is the one that God wills to use. But he wants no part of it. He doesn't want to say no to the Lord. I'm not going to do this. So he says, send it by someone else is what he's really saying here. Don't send me. And we know that this was wrong on Moses' part because what happens in verse 14? The anger of the Lord burned against him. Now, can you imagine the Lord being angry with someone who was obedient and compliant and desirous to do exactly what the Lord told him to do? Why would the Lord be angry at that? The Lord was angry because Moses was making an excuse here. What he's really saying is send the message by someone else. I really don't want to do this. It took three days and nights in the belly of some sea creature for Jonah to decide he's going to obey God. The Lord says to him, Is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. Moreover, he is coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. God can raise up others to help us in service. 
God will raise up someone to help us even when we don't want to serve. I would say this is very important for us to grasp and understand as a church family. We need to come alongside one another. Sometimes some go through trials or they just need encouragement in their Christian life to draw closer to God and Christ and live more for Him. I I would ask you, this past week, what did you and I do to interact with other believers, to encourage them, to find out how we can pray for them, to find out if they needed something that we might be able to help with ourselves or bring before the church that the church could help with, or that a group of individual believers could get together and help with. The Lord wants to raise us up to help others serve so that faith might be produced in that individual we're helping as well as in those who see the brotherly love that we have for one another. In the second century and third century as Christians, Christianity was an outlawed religion in the Roman Empire. Christians would be arrested and rounded up and either locally or transported to Rome. They would be put to death in different ways. There's records, historical records that still exist today of Christians being rounded up in the arena and put to death in different ways, which I'm not going to get into. But the men would shield the women's bodies and younger ones' bodies with their own body. They'd try to protect, even though protection was not going to be possible, and they would be put to death first. And this is what a Roman wrote about them. Behold how they love one another. What a testimony that even a pagan Roman who believed in a pantheon of gods, had no faith in the one true God of heaven and earth, would recognize the love that these brothers and sisters had for one another. Behold how they love one another. God has answers to our rebellious unwillingness to serve him. He will use others in our place. Not one of us, none of us, including myself, is indispensable to God. Jesus Christ said when when he was told, tell these people to be silent, Christ said, if they're silent, the stones will cry out praise. Christ said he's able from stones to raise up children of faith like Abraham. God will use others in our place. If we are so rebellious and hard-hearted, like Pharaoh was, God can discard us. He's already planned that, if any of us get to that point. And he can raise up others. He says to Moses, you are to speak to Aaron and put the words in his mouth. 
and I, even I, will be with your mouth and his mouth, and I will teach you what you are to do, and then he would pass that on to Aaron. Moses gave up the position that God had called him to. God knew this would happen, and he already had Aaron coming out to greet Moses. How God prompted Aaron to do that in the previous verses, I don't know, but God did it. He told Moses, look, your brother Aaron's coming to you. And he says he's going to now, while he had told Moses again and again, I will put my words in your mouth. I will be with you. I will give you the words to speak. Moses now has rejected that he wants to do that. And God says, okay, it'll be Aaron's mouth. God didn't need Moses to do the speaking. He always has someone else that can step in and have the blessing as Aaron would. He will use others in our place. He doesn't need us, but he still wants to use us for his glory and for your eternal reward. Please don't do like Moses. Let none of us do like Moses and argue with God in our heart, in our mind, in our soul about serving him. If you haven't yet served him in some capacity, whether it's as part of this local church or somehow functioning in the lives of your brothers and sisters in Christ, please do so. Don't keep on making excuses like Moses did. God has answers to our rebellious unwillingness to serve him that result in blessing to others. God will use others in our place, and he'll use them to bless others. Instead of us being the direct blessing, others will be the direct blessing to others. Aaron shall speak for you to the people. And he will be as a mouth for you, and you will be as God to him. You shall take in your hand the staff, which you shall perform the signs. The whole purpose of serving is to glorify God and to be a blessing to others. Would you do that today? Glorify God with your life and be a blessing to others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how we thank you for your goodness to us. How we thank you for the power of your word. How we thank you for all you want to accomplish in us and through us. Oh, dear God, we confess to you that unlike Moses, sometimes we don't run out of excuses. We can make them day after day. And we confess that when we can't think of new ones, we just repeat some of the ones that you've already convicted us are, are wrong. And we acknowledge that our excuses today are as wrong as they were yesterday or last week or last month or last year. They're as wrong as the excuses Moses made. Oh, dear God, we thank you for your patience and long-suffering with us. We thank you that you still desire to use each of us for your glory, your namesake. Oh, Lord, would you be pleased as, as weak and lowly as we are, as frail, as full of weaknesses, and even more so than Moses, would you be pleased 
to use us in some way to bring glory to your name, to be a blessing to others, to produce faith in others. Oh, dear God, be pleased for your glory and your name's sake to make us more like your beloved son so that we might model for saint and sinner alike the character of Jesus Christ. Help us to write with our lives and our words a gospel 